So this afternoon, we're going to be looking at the ascension of, of Jesus Christ into heaven and what benefit that has for us as Christian believers. What we're, so what we're going to do this, this afternoon then is read through 1 John 1 into verses 2, verses 1 and 2, and we're really going to focus on the verses, on chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, that's sort of going to be our text for this afternoon. It's going to go hand in hand with the catechism reading. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life with was, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this afternoon we're going to read from Lord's Day 18, uh, the part of the Heidelberg Catechism which talks about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. We're going to read through the whole uh, Lord's Day, but the focus will be this afternoon on question and answer 49, and particularly the, the first benefit, but we'll read through the, the whole thing. Lord's Day 18, question and answer 46. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, Majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and, person, and remains personally united with it. Now we come to the benefits of Christ's ascension, how, how it benefits us as believers. 
So how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. So this afternoon we're going to focus on the first benefit, that Christ is our advocate in heaven before his Father. You'll notice that a proof text for, for that little section is 1 John 2 verse 1. That's going to be the, the main text for our message this afternoon, so I'd like to read that with you again. 1 John 2 verses 1, and we'll also read verse 2 along with that. One John two verse one, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you keep your Bible open, that would be uh, to that passage. That would be great. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does Christ's ascension benefit you? The ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven might not, be something, might not be something that we consider all that often. It's not something that gets as much airtime as Christ's birth at Christmas or, or Christ's death and resurrection at, at Easter time. But it's an important event, and the Catechism wants to stress that. We read three ways in question and answer 49. We read three, three ways that Christ's ascension benefits us. And this afternoon, I want to bring your focus to the first of these reasons, that, that Christ is our advocate in heaven before our Father. And to do this, we're going to focus on one of the proof texts, 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. So, so if you have your Bibles open to that, that would be, that'd be really great. Then we can walk through the text together that we can plumb its riches, that we may, we may understand more about what it means that Christ is our advocate, that we can grow in our delight of our Lord and Savior, our ascended Lord, Jesus Christ. So we read 1 John 1 as a bit of context, and when we get to chapter 2, John makes it really clear that he wants his audience to listen. You can tell that in his address. See how he addresses the people there? My little children... My dear children, my little children. It's a, it's a beautiful address. John is showing his love, his concern for, for the people he is writing to. He loves them as a, as a father loves their child. And he wants to teach them something as a loving father. He has some level of spiritual authority over them and he wants to guide them in their journey of faith so that, so that their joy may be complete. And so when John uses this address, my little children, we're to slow down, we're, we're to take notice. It's important. John is, is going to be teaching the audience as a loving father something that he thinks is important, something that he thinks is valuable for their spiritual life, and something that's going to comfort them greatly. It's going to comfort us as well as, as little children. That's what he's doing here in in the text, he's comforting us with certain theological truths. 
important truths. So, so the question is, what are these truths? What, what things is he drawing our attention to? He writes there, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And he, so he doesn't want us to sin. Fair enough. I don't want to sin either. I'm sure you guys don't. But why? Why is he writing this? He says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So, so what are the, these things that he's talking about? These things from chapter 2 verse 1 can be found in, in the previous chapter. Chapter 1 verses 7, we read that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. We're, we're wiped clean. And in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's sweet gospel truths. We'll, we'll receive forgiveness of sins. We'll be made clean. So these things that he's referring to, it's the gracious message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the question I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, is how do you react to such beautiful words? When you're given the, the gospel of grace, what is your response to, to the purifying blood of Jesus? By God's grace, it will be praise, worship, living lives for, out of thankfulness for him. I pray that that, that is true of, of you, of me, of, of everyone, in all times, all places. But we have the reality of our, of our sinful nature, the heart of man. It's deceitful above all things, isn't it? So unfortunately, we don't always respond as we should to the, to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We love to, to live for ourselves, our own way, and then when we want to justify our actions, we, we point to the, to the blood of Jesus. I've done something wrong, but, but the blood of Jesus has it covered. It's no problem. Jesus has paid it all. So if I sin, it's not so bad after all. So in verse 1 of 1 John 2, John is being careful to explain a proper response to the redeeming blood of Christ. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. It's similar to what Paul writes in Romans, 1, Romans 6. Sorry, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not, by no means. The blood of the Lamb, it should motivate us not to sin. By God's grace, we will live for him, knowing that he has washed us clean. So he writes these things to us so, so that we do not sin. And it is this here where, this place here where we encounter some tension, tension that we can feel in our own lives, tension that, that Christians so often face. I don't want to sin. I want to live for Christ the grace of God in, in Jesus Christ has transformed my heart and I want to my, offer my heart to Him. But I still sin. I still sin. I sin all the time, every single day. So how can I be walking in the light? That verse 7 talks about. If I look at my life, it, it seems to be darkness all around. I love Christ, but I'm a sinner. So how do I know? Am I walking in the light or not? Because it certainly doesn't always seem like it. It's a tension that, that we all face from time to time. And maybe we, 
we might know the right theological answers to this dilemma, but, but it's still a tension that can, can take root in our hearts. It's a tension that we all face. I'm a sinner. I do terrible things. How can I still be God's child? How can God still love me? Am I walking in the light or am I walking in the darkness? And God, in, this, uh, in these verses here, in his infinite wisdom, he gives us, the little children that we are, he gives us an answer. He tells us as, that as we look within, we shouldn't stay fixated on ourselves and what, what we do, but, but we should look outside of ourselves to Jesus. Because it is Jesus Christ the righteous who, who pleads our case before his Father. And he does that lovingly as our advocate. That's going to be the first point for our sermon this afternoon. And he does that sufficiently as our atoning sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, have you ever had it when you're struggling with a particular sin in your life that, that just keeps you down, makes you feel worthless? You keep failing, you keep falling, and you, you start to think, how could anyone in my life still love me if they knew this thing about me, if they knew how sinful I was? And how could God still love me because he does know all these things about me? The devil, the devil loves situations like this. He loves to accuse us. He loves to tell us constantly that we're not worthy of God, that God would never love us for who we are. And he's right, because when we sin, we're, we're failing to love God with, with all our heart, above all, with our all. And whenever we sin, the result of that is that we, we break that relationship with God. Sin makes us lose access to the Father. Every time we sin, we're once again no longer worthy of God. And there's no one who likes to remind us of that more than, than the devil, their accuser. So we're not meant to sin because Jesus paid for our sins. So why in this life do, do we keep doing them? It's not living for Christ, is it? If Jesus paid for my sins, if Jesus paid for your sins, what happens if you keep on sinning? Do we lose relationship with God all over again? Do we lose the sweet fellowship that we have with him? And John, John lovingly tells his children, no, no, we don't lose our relationship with God again because we have an advocate. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's one of the, the benefits of the ascension. Jesus is up there in heaven advocating for us. But the question is, what, what is an advocate? What actually is an advocate? What do they do? You could think of an organization like ARPA. ARPA is an advocacy group. They, they advocate for us. To put it very simply, they, they take the concerns of reformed Christians to the government. They're the, the go-between. They're their representatives. We, we as reformed Christians, we've got concerns about euthanasia, abortion, all sorts of other things. So we, we take them to ARPA, and ARPA takes them to Ottawa. It makes sense, right? The government... Who would they listen to? Uh, a smattering of people all across Canada who have concerns about the direction of the government. 
or a team of professional lawyers who make coherent arguments on, on our behalf. If they're going to listen to anyone, they're going to they're listen to the lawyers because the lawyers, they advocate for us. And to a greater degree, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is our advocate before the Father. The Father is perfectly just, perfectly holy. He's an awesome God. So why would he listen to us after we have just sinned once again? Once we've sinned, even after we've been washed with, his, with the blood of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to the cross to die for us. Why would he still listen to us when we, once, even, knowing, even knowing that, we, we sin again? The truth is he, he wouldn't listen to us in and of ourselves, but we've got an advocate. So by God's grace, he does listen to us because of Jesus because Jesus is our advocate, the righteous one, the one who continually pleads our case before the Father. Maybe this is something that we don't think about enough. Yes, Christ died for me. Yes, he resurrected, he, he defeated death. We find so much comfort in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But without Jesus' ascension into heaven, without him intercessing for us without him advocating for us we couldn't enjoy this salvation we couldn't have salvation this is what john owen says about it it's generally acknowledged that sinners could not be saved without the death of christ but that believers could not be saved without the life of christ following it is not so much considered without jesus constantly pleading our case before the father Every sin that we commit, every mistake that we make, would once again separate us from God. Separate us from God's love. But we have Christ. As Hebrews 9 verse 24 says, that Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is in heaven on our behalf, pleading our case before the Father. Father, your, your precious daughter, she loved you, but she failed again. She was tempted. She gave in. And your precious son, whom you bought for a price, he loves you. He wants to serve you, but he fell. He made a mistake. He He's boasting in his own abilities, not yours. But Father, don't look, at, don't look at her failings. Don't look at his mistakes because I have it covered. Look at my blood. Look at my righteousness. That righteousness is hers. That righteousness is his. That righteousness is yours, brothers and sisters. You can know that when you sin. By the grace of God, Jesus is pleading your case. When the devil is attacking you, Jesus is defending you. Here's your advocate. And because he is righteous, God will always listen to him. When we are faithless, he remains faithful, and we can praise God for that. So Jesus is our advocate. It's a tremendous comfort. The, the catechism calls it a benefit of the ascension. 
It's a benefit that Christ is our advocate in heaven. So brothers and sisters, do you truly understand this benefit? Are you taking hold of it by faith? Are you using this benefit as Christ wants you to? Jesus, as our advocate, he wants us to find comfort in, in him. So, so how do we take hold of that comfort? Jesus tells us. Jesus says, come, doesn't he? He says, come to me. He says, come to me, all you who, are heavy, who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So loved of God, are you going to Jesus When the devil attacks you, when you're feeling defeated by your sins, are you taking that to him? God gave him to us as an advocate for a reason, something that the Belgic Confession reminds us of of as well, reminds us that we can come to Jesus and that Jesus wants us to come to him. We read there that there's no creature in heaven or on earth that loves us more than Jesus Christ. So go to him. He is your loving advocate. He wants you to come to him. So why why is John telling us all of this, that we have an advocate in heaven? It's because he wants our joy to be complete. You can read about that in chapter 1, verse 4. He wants our joy to be complete. So when the present reality of sin is in your life, when it's getting in the way of of that joy, go to Jesus, confess your sins. He is faithful, he is just to forgive them. Go to Jesus, the righteous, he is your loving advocate. Now consider that, that he pleads our case sufficiently as our atoning sacrifice. The advocacy of, of Jesus Christ wouldn't be possible, though, without the, uh, without the cross. You see, in his role as advocate, Jesus is acting as a high priest. Jesus has his three offices. He's, he's a prophet, priest, and king. So when he's, in, being, when he's at being our advocate, he is, he's acting as our high priest. He's interceding for us before the Father. But for a high priest to intercede... He has to carry out the task of sacrificing. That's what the the Old Testament laws teach us about. So the logical connection, John, that's the logical connection John's making here in in verse 2 of our text. So verse 1 tells us that we have an advocate. And then verse 2 tells us that this same advocate is the propitiation for our sins. Now propitiation isn't a word that we use every day. Propitiation is to to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. In the Old Testament, that was symbolized with the the sacrifices, bulls, goats being being slaughtered, the sacrifice of atonement. And these sacrifices, they, they portrayed a reconciliation with God, that we could come to him again. So when John writes that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, he's he's making us think back to this sacrificial system. He's showing us that Jesus isn't only the high priest, but he is also the sacrifices, sacrifice that needed to be offered for the high priest to do the work. Jesus is the high priest and he is the sacrifice. The idea of Christ being our atoning sacrifice is, is something that John makes quite clear already in his gospel. In the first chapter of John, 
He points us to the Lamb, to, the, to that great atoning sacrifice. He records John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. John, the author here, he wants us to recognize Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement. He is the one who gives us access to God. He is the one whose blood was shed so that we could go to God. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Reflect on that. Think about that. The lamb, the lamb that was led to the slaughter was for you. It's for me so that, so that we could be made right with God and so that we could stay right with him. A man, a perfectly righteous man was slaughtered for us out of love so that we could be reunited and stay reunited with God. It's an amazing thing. But why is John making this point? Is it enough for John just to tell us that, that Christ is our advocate? Why does he have to tell us that, that, John, that Jesus is also the atoning sacrifice? It's because Jesus is sufficient as a sacrifice. You see, if Jesus is our advocate, but he, but he does so, but he does his task by, by offering animals for us, we would never, that would never have been sufficient. We read in Hebrews 7 that Jesus has no need like, like those high priests of old to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he, was, when he offered up himself. His one sacrifice was sufficient. Do you believe that? Do you see that, see that as true for yourself? Jesus went to the cross as an atoning sacrifice for you. When you sin, Christ wants you to understand that. He wants you to see how sufficient his sacrifice he is. He, he loves you. He wants you to be comforted. And do you believe that his one sacrifice was, was sufficient? And do you see that as true for, for others as well? John writes that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, but, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the, of the whole world. That doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved. We confess in Lord's Day 7 that only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ. But when we read that the sacrifice of Christ is, is not only for our sins, but for the sins of the, of the whole world, we can see how sufficient Christ's death is. It's enough to pay for my sins. It's enough to pay for your sins. It's enough to pay for the sins of the whole world. Knowing that should, should make us stand even more in awe of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Knowing this should encourage us even more to, to let others know about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Canons of Dort speaks about it as well. It says the death of the Son of God is the only and most perfect satis sacrifice and satisfaction for sin, abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. Is that truth on your heart? The atoning sacrifice is, is sufficient for the whole world. It's abundantly sufficient for your sins. So let the world know that. Tell your neighbors, 
Talk about it with your friends. Teach your children. Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God, he accomplished that on the cross for all the Father gave to him. He is a high priest who, who offered up himself so that we can, could continue to have a relationship with God. He is the heavenly high priest who, who continually intercedes for us before the Father because he loves us. What a great benefit of the ascension that is. And knowing that, we can, we can do a full circle back to the beginning of, of our text in, in 1 John 2. When John tells us all of this, doesn't it make us want to live for Christ even more? How much grace have we received that Jesus is our advocate and our atoning sacrifice? It's a lot of grace. So let that grace now, like a fetter, bind our wandering hearts to him. Little children, I'm telling you this so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and, and not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. It's an amazing thing. Christ has got us covered every step of the journey. If only we believe in him. Praise God for that. Amen.